Did you know that faceless YouTube channels can be money printing machines when done right? These channels have been doing like 20, 30K a month. In this episode, no more breaks down how to go viral. Usually I go viral within the first three videos. I'm not talking about like a video that maybe hits 100K views. I'm talking about a video that maybe hits half a million to a million views. Why faceless channels are better than talking head channels. Because when you're a normal creator, you're always the bottleneck. And his master plan to exit. Essentially, you can set it for four or five times the yearly revenue. So if you're ready to start and grow a faceless YouTube channel, let's dive in. Noah, pumped to have you here dude for the people who don't understand the concept of a faceless channel what is a faceless youtube channel so essentially you have two different types so one is where there's one individual creator behind faceless channel which can be a lot of different things so think about documentaries like crime documentaries with a voiceover and it's usually one guy behind it but the version i actually do is where you actually outsource all the work so you get a script writer, you get a voice actor, you get a video editor, and you combine them all into one team and you manage them and they basically automate the whole content creation process for you. Right, so essentially, to put it in my mind, you turn it into a business, right? You build a team that can do the work. Yeah, exactly. So right now for my own team, it's about 40 men strong. So yeah, you can actually see it as a whole content production factory and you outsource by Upwork and actually source a lot of uh, talent from Twitter as well. And yeah, basically all these channels I'm running right now are 99% automated. The only part I'm actually involved in is strategizing, setting up some of the systems and coming up with the niches to hop into. And how many channels do you have right now? Currently, I run 25 channels and sometimes it fluctuates a little bit because she, what you will see is that with some content, you will get demonetization or something goes wrong. So the cha channel basically fails and then you scrap the channel. But right now I have around 15 channels that are actually turning a good profit. And then there's about 10 channels. Some are breaking even and the other ones are just getting started. Why would anyone start a faceless channel versus just like a, a normal talking head channel or like they see you, they see the individual? What's the kind of value prop for a faceless channel? This is actually a funny subject as I get a lot of regular creators DMing me, asking me if they can work together with me on automating a secondary channel. So I had this guy, I'm pretty sure he runs a channel discussing geopolitics, um, but it's very easy to get rid of that talking head and actually just transfer it over to a voiceover. And by doing this, you basically make it a passive income stream as well. And so it's way less intensive than you sitting in front of the camera every single day having to record, as well as that you can just scale way more because when you're a normal creator you're always the bottleneck if you're sick you can't record if you're traveling whatever you can't record so by doing this you can actually start scaling so what i do in a lot of cases say for example i have a niche in crime documentaries instead of running one channel i actually sometimes fill the niche up with four or five channels just so i basically have a whole monopoly in that Oh, yeah. We have a client in my agency that is in the true crime niche. Yeah. They do like breaking cases and stuff like that. And to your point, like he can get burnt out because he's like every time like I have to get on and record the content that night and then try to get it ready, et cetera, et cetera. And in this case, like you could have someone that it's their job to like follow these breaking cases, write scripts. It goes to a voiceover person. The voiceover person does their thing. And this could all happen basically 24 hours a day around the clock. Like the team could be working. Exactly. And then also running multiple teams in parallel. So say for example, you want to upload every single day and you stay, still want to maintain a certain level of quality you'll get four exact same teams and then they have instead of 
you know, you have one day to produce a video because you want to upload once a day. You can let them run in parallel and then each team has four days to complete the video. So you can also expand not only more in quantity, but also way more qualities. So you can scale without sacrificing, essentially. You posted on Twitter that there's some like niches that don't work for whatever reason, like they fail. You mentioned demonetization, but I would think there's also some niches that just don't work or don't work as well. What kind of stuff have you run across that just doesn't perform well like this? Usually when people start, they're very shallow in their research. So obviously the nice part about having a faceless channel, especially because of a lot of people do it to turn a profit, you're very flexible. So you can move to every single niche because essentially you can get into every single niche because you can hire an expert, a writer on that topic, oh, and also a video editor, of course. But what happens a lot is that people will jump into niches and a lot of regular creators do this as well. They jump into niches where there's a high saturation level. Essentially, there's a huge disbalance in the amount of the demand versus supply. And actually, that's our strong suit. So we identify markets and actually a lot of normal creators, they don't think about something like this at all. But we start researching and identifying markets where essentially there's way more demand than there is supply. And we're also searching for if there is supply, is that supply low quality? So you can easily 10x that quality. And once you do that, you basically own that niche. You have a monopoly there because you're the best quality one and there's not a lot of supply yet. So you can scale very quickly. You usually go viral very quickly as well, way faster than regular creators or people who get into saturated niches. Usually I go viral within the first three videos. And I'm, I'm not talking about like a video that maybe hits 100k views. I'm talking about a video that maybe hits half a million to a million views. And when you're putting all this content together and you're trying to build a team, like I run a content marketing agency, totally different type of content and putting together a team is difficult, right? So like, how do you find your talent? Like, how do you test the talent? Like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So essentially what, what happens quite a lot is when you try and hire online, is that people will craft like very elaborate stories to get hired. So they'll promise a lot of things. But the thing is, usually what you want to be looking at when hiring talent is not what they promise and what they say scripturally, what they've done in the past. You actually only want to be looking at what have they done for other clients. So what uh, type of video editing have they done? What types of scripts have they written? I always say this on Twitter when I'm hiring as well. So I sometimes put out tweets like, Hey, I'm hiring, please send some relevant samples. And I just don't even look at the people who just only send text-based proposals because they're worthless to me essentially, because I can also make up elaborate stories, but what it sure. really comes down to is I just want to see your work because that's essentially what's going to get me results. And one thing that we do is because not only will people lie about what they can write on, on paper, but they'll also lie about their portfolio. Yeah. They'll send you like work that isn't theirs, which you quickly find out. So we actually do like paid test projects. Is that something you do at some point in your process? Yeah. So usually it really depends on the project again so sometimes you find niche markets where you have to move extremely quickly a good example is there was the johnny depp versus amber heard case and there was a bunch of cash cow channels that jumped on that very quickly and they scaled extremely fast i'm talking in a span of two three weeks they went from zero to 300 million views a month it was that big and at that point you have to hire very quickly so at that point i'll just usually look at previous work but if it's a more long-term or evergreen project i'll usually ask for a two, three minute sample from every single applicant. And then I all sent them the same 
script, the same voiceover, and I'll all let them edit the same thing. And then we can just compare the quality and the results. And also we look at delivery time when we send the samples, because if already the delivery time is off, yeah. essentially that usually is a trend that continues into the future when you're working with them. Yeah. Is the script writer the hardest position to hire for? It's actually the editor, usually. There's a lot of people who think they know editing. Because the thing is with editing, you have to know so many different nuances. You have to understand one is the culture, of course. So if you're editing, say, for example, a crime video, you have to kind of understand what intrigues the viewer. And another thing is obviously you have to understand pacing. A lot of these yeah. editors, they can practically do things like they can add text, they can do some animations here and there. But to actually understand what a good editor does is to understand timing, emotion, feelings. And that's especially what I'm looking out for with new talent is that base understanding of what triggers a viewer instead of what they can actually do. Because it's very easy to teach someone, okay, how to add text or how to... Uh, how to cut sections out and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. And that's why I also often hire from colleges. So I have uh, contacts, for example, in Canada as well. And we sometimes for like bigger documentary projects, we go to film schools. The reason why is because in film school, they actually get taught the art of the cut, basically. And that makes your storytelling in the videos way stronger than if you would hire from Twitter, where usually they're thinking about over editing for retention. Yeah. And same thing with us, like one of our best editors from a, like being able to tell a story with the content, he studied filmmaking and documentaries in college. Yeah. Yeah, usually that's a trend yeah. you see a lot. How much have you spent growing these faceless channels? Ooh, I, um, so I know the last 90 days I spent in a ballpark of 100 to 120K. But again, that's why I'm scaling very quickly right now. So I'm doing more bulk projects instead of projects that focus more quality. So you could see bulk with bulk projects. I mean, like we would start like 10 compilation channels instead of one documentary channel. So for example, a compilation video might cost you 60, 70 dollars and one documentary video might cost you 200. So yeah, we're just basically trying to scale up cash flow by focusing more on quantity. But I think throughout my six years, it definitely in the half a million to maybe a million range I've spent on these channels. I'm sure there's a profit there as oh, well. Yeah. So that, that shows <laughs> that you, you've turned this into a very interesting business as well. And we kind of talked about building the team. Are there any people doing this solo that you know? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of faces creators that do it solo and some of them actually perform better than uh, the automated channels. Reason being is because they can focus way more on quality. It's way easier for them to analyze their mistakes. So when something goes wrong with us, it's not one person that gets held accountable. It's four or five different people. When you're a solo faces creator and you have a lot of them, it's very easy for you to reflect and adjust things when you notice, okay, that didn't work. With us, we have to do weekly team meetings to basically discuss that. And even though we do that, you still see that sometimes feedback doesn't get implemented. So yeah, that's yeah. definitely an edge for faces creators that do it solo. Interesting. And a lot of people move to YouTube. They're trying to build a brand. They're trying to not just drive revenue through ad revenue. They're trying to drive revenue through products services, things like that. So with faceless channels, can you build like a brand as most people would think about it? Or is it purely a ad revenue play? So mainly we focus on ad revenue, but essentially you're very free to do sponsorships as well. I notice usually products, they don't work too well 
Reason being, there's no authority, there's no face connected, so the trust level is lower. But sponsorships still work great on faces channels, and you can get very creative with them. Sometimes we actually integrate, for example, in one of my crime documentary channels, it's about cases in, in courtrooms. Essentially, what we'll do is we'll get a law firm and we'll integrate one of their cases into a video. Oh, and then, obviously, people can see, like, okay, this is how they handled the case. And then at the end, we'll say, like, hey, this is sponsorship. If you want to check them out, here's the link in the description. So you can get very creative with integrating sponsorships into your format as well. Are you trying to get like a ton of subscribers on these channels or are you just more focused on views? It's always about views with these faceless channels. The funny part is I'm actually working on getting more subscribers because usually I have like tons of views. I'm talking like 10, 20 million views a month on some of these channels. And then they have less than 100,000 subscribers. And the reason being is because usually the subscription rate is just lower on these faces channels because there's not as much as, as a personal connection as you would have with a personal brand. Yeah. But actually I am trying to scale up the subscribers on a lot of these channels because eventually uh, what you can do with these channels is sell them. Because obviously, like, uh, there's no face connected to it. And by uh, inflating that subscriber rate with shorts, we can essentially sell it for a higher exit than we would normally do. What other metrics outside of views are you looking at to judge if a video is successful? Obviously, a very important part is revenue. But another thing that's very important to us is building a compounding effect on the channel. So I'm also looking at new versus returning viewers quite a lot. Reason being, you want to have this compound effect where you get this base audience that always watches your video. So you're always generating that revenue while you're scaling that channel and reaching newer viewers where you get this effect where you have the baseline that's linearly growing and then you have that new viewer base that's basically going exponentially the more you find you these videos and you mentioned short form content there are you leveraging short form on either YouTube shorts or any other social platforms to kind of do anything is that part of the strategy or no no from uh from for us the only reason we would use short form is basically like I said to inflate the subscriber rate other than that for faces channels, especially the goal we have is to basically drive as much revenue as we can. It's not really necessary. Basically, short form for us would be a waste of opportunity because the time I would sp spend working on my short form teams, for example, I can better spend optimizing thumbnails on other channels so that the opportunity cost is simply not worth it on our side. In selling these channels, is that the ultimate goal of each of these channels to get it to a point where you can exit or do you just want to milk it for as long as possible? You will be trying to milk it as long as possible. But in the end, what I'm trying to do is I'll probably bundle all these channels together because when you have like a track record, for example, say you have four or five years of running these channels and these channels have been doing like 20, 30K a month, essentially you can sell it for four or five times the yearly revenue at that point because you know you've shown okay this is a trend that can probably continue in the in the future and you have this huge backlog of videos and eventually yeah we do want to make a big exit and maybe sell it we've been looking at selling it maybe to private equity funds there has been a lot of interest actually in uh, buying youtube channels it's a trend that's continuing in the future there's actually specialized companies that buy up these channels and that essentially is a really good way to exit nowadays and you could essentially sell your bundle of channels not just a channel that's why we have a strategy where we fill up a whole niche because essentially companies can just buy a whole YouTube niche from us. So say they have a, a company 
connected to crying or tech. It's easy for us to sell them that bundle of channels within one niche. And then it's very easy for them to, for example, connect their products to it or do other different types of promotions on these channels. So yeah, that's a lot of opportunity definitely coming to the space. It's a flexibility that normal creators don't have because otherwise your face would be connected to the channel and essentially then it's worth way less because it's very difficult to transfer between the two. I've seen some pretty elaborate faceless channels that have like tons of like hand-drawn animations and things like that. Do you ever get into those type of channels or is it without insulting what you do, is it a bit more like simple channels? Yeah, so no, 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 it's, it's not insulting because that's the, basically the business model. The nice part about doing these types of channels is that the investment relative to the money you can earn is so low. So for example, I can maybe pump in $600 into a channel and it can make me a return of 30K. But say for example, yeah, you would do a, a style like Kurt Kazak has, or I don't know if you know this channel, but it's called My Story Animated. And it's this huge mm -hmm. animation channel, but they would pay 500 to $700 per minute of video. So it's very investment happy. And say, for example, that channel would flop, you would lose so much money. It's very, it's actually very difficult to turn a profit there because the videos maybe will cost you eight to nine K to produce on some of these. Yeah. I saw one the other day. It was something about like solar system. Yeah. And it was like these planets that are like animated and they're telling, and there's like jokes built in and like all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is elaborate. Yeah. So basically those channels have a very difficult time turning a profit because often they target like younger demographics. So the RPM is yeah. quite low, but essentially... And can you break down what RPM is for those that might not be aware? Yeah, so basically you have two different metrics of which you can base how much YouTube pays you per a thousand views. So you have CPM, which is cost per mile. That basically shows how much YouTube is getting from advertisers in total. And then you have RPM, which is basically the amount you're getting paid. So YouTube takes a 45% cut and the other half you get is basically the RPM. So on these channels that do animations, usually children are attracted to those or a younger demographic. So you get lower RPMs because selling to children is just less profitable than adults. And basically these animation channels, they do get a lot of views, don't get me wrong, but it's just very difficult to turn a profit. If you'll read through some of the tweets of the owners of these animation channels, they'll tell you like, it's just difficult to break even for us. But essentially this is going to change in the near future as soon as AI makes animation easier than it is right now, because it's very labor intensive. But as soon as that switch happens, it will become like extremely profitable niche to be in. And do you think that is next few years possible? Um, it depends. I, I haven't really seen any crazy AI animation tools pop off yet, but right now, obviously we're in this exponential growth era when it comes to AI. You're seeing AI tools pop off everywhere and, and obviously ChatGTP is going to 400X soon in, in power. So yeah, you'll definitely see what animation tools that are AI powered coming up very soon, like in the next two, three years, I think so. If you look at yeah. the rate where these tools are coming up, I already already see Adobe like working on uh, video editing softwares that are AI powered. So yeah, definitely these channels will become very viable in the near future. When we first talked, you made a subtle comment around uh, some channels getting shut down or the possibility yep. of channels getting shut down. So how do you hedge your bets, right? So you could put like all this effort into growing some uh, a channel or channels. What types of things are you doing to hedge the risk of a channel that's generating 30,000 a month getting shut down? So basically, there's multiple things we do to basically hatch that risk. One of the things we do is we have often multiple accounts across multiple different companies and ad senses, as well as demo accounts. Say, for example, we do 
violate copyright laws. You will have that, for example, with compilation channels. Sometimes you will have to fight with these sports publishing companies and it does get shut down. Only that one AdSense and Google account would get shut down. So basically that's how you hedge against the risk of your channel getting shut down. Usually it's not termination, it's just demonetization. It doesn't affect anything else than purely that channel. But the way we... So you're spinning up a bunch of like Google accounts that each have their own like AdSense account yeah. connected to it. They're basically all separate and they all funnel into one LLC, yes. And then you obviously have the demonetization, but we hatch against that by usually doing multiple channels on the same topic. So if one gets taken out, you still have three or four left over. This will sound interesting to a lot of people as an opportunity to pursue or explore. Yeah. Like realistically, what is the success rate oh, yeah. around starting a channel? And you could either take it from the perspective of your success rate or maybe someone just new to the game coming in. No, so I know a lot of people joining this space. I think I at this point nearly know every single person that sells courses in this space as well. So essentially, I think with selling courses, the success rate might be 10 to 20%. The reason why it's so extremely sure. low is you have to garner a lot of skills. You know, it as a YouTuber, you need to know everything. So essentially you have to know, okay, what does a good video look like? So what does a good script look like? What does a good voiceover sound like? What does a good video edit look like? And then obviously you have to understand the algorithm. You have to understand the nuances. There's extreme, uh, a lot of nuances in the space. So obviously, okay, where not to go to avoid demonetization. There's so many different things you have to know that it's basically a compound effect. But the nice part about the space, if you understand the game, if you understand the formula, that's when it starts compounding and you can basically start scaling very quickly. But there's a big barrier to entry you have to get over essentially to uh, become successful. So I know a lot of people who started maybe a few months back or a year ago, and then it's very slow at the start. And eventually they'll have one channel go off. And as soon as that happens, you see it clicks and that's when they can replicate that success. But until that point, there's a lot of people that fail. I would say 90%. But again, this happens in a lot of industries. Yeah. Every industry, I would yeah, say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's a big barrier to entry. You see, uh, especially if people are working full time and they have to invest, for example, I would say when you start out, it's somewhere between two, three K on the videos. Yeah. Usually when that fails, people give up because it's just too much of a loss for them to handle. So yeah, yeah that's essentially why 90% of the people fail. If someone was wanting to get started, um, how much money should they have set aside for knowing that this isn't going to be like an overnight thing? How much should they expect to spend? 10k whatever it is and what is the timeline someone should be willing to put in this because what i always tell people is like you got to at least give it a year like when clients come starting to work with us i'm like if you're not willing to give this 12 months like maybe not even start yeah exactly so it's similar here i would say probably give it a year time because essentially your first few months and that's why i always recommend to new people don't invest all your money in the first few months because you're going to make really stupid mistakes at the start when you look at your old youtube videos you might go like what was I doing there? And essentially that's the same thing when you start faces channels, you'll start in a bunch of really bad niches. You'll make really bad videos. And essentially sometimes people just try and throw money at it and just pray it works, but that's really stupid. I would first like go for a repetition, understanding what goes into the game. And as soon as it clicks and you get a channel that takes off, that's when you start scaling up that investment. So I would basically say if you can set aside 5k for a year, that would essentially be enough. If it doesn't work after that, you you can obviously reconsider, but usually I see the people who are successful hit that mark before spending that 5k or uh, before the end of that yeah. year. But it's extremely important to 
manage your investment very due diligence. And do you help people start channels? No, I don't. I So I, I used to do some coaching and consulting for a very short while, maybe like a month. I was consulting a lot of people who were in the coaching industry themselves. So when you go that channel and they get like two or three more sales, obviously that's a lot of money because maybe they sell a thing for three or 5k, you know, so you can give them 15k in extra cash flow. But essentially it was just taking way too much effort compared to running these channels myself. So I, I really quickly yeah. stopped with that. If somebody wants to go into this deeper and learn, are there any like trusted resources yeah, so that essentially, you would um, recommend? Um, I'm going against the grain very soon. So I'm actually building a tool that finds these niches for you. So it scrapes all of YouTube. So we have all these accounts that basically scrape every single channel on YouTube that falls within our filter. And you'll be able to filter through like 10 million channels at once. And uh, you can sort, sort by RPM, you can sort by average views. Like we have like 20 or 30 different filter points you can use and you can very quickly find newer channels. And with that, I'm probably creating a very, very cheap course. So usually these automation courses will run you somewhere between a thousand to five thousand dollars. It's insane. Like the prices are extremely high. To be honest, I think because it's compound learning to have that base knowledge, it shouldn't be that expensive. The only thing I would probably charge for is maybe a hundred to a hundred fifty dollars to cover my own cost for creating the course to break sure. even. But essentially for me, the end project would probably be creating really valuable tools like a niche scraper. Like the niche is like the most valuable thing you can have. So essentially you, you can charge money from that. But the base knowledge, there's such a gatekeeping culture there that I kind of want to break through that because there's all these gurus charging so much. So that's a project that I'll be working on and probably be releasing at the end of March. That's super awesome. And where can people connect with you? Like where are you most active on the internet? I post a lot of Twitter threads on Twitter at uh, Noah Morris with a Z on the end. We also have a free, just a faceless community on Discord. And I do like weekly calls just just free of charge purely because I enjoy chatting about it. I go to Fit Summit, VidCon every year. You know, I love networking with everyone. So it's actually a lot of big faces creators in that Discord as well. This was super interesting. I appreciate you coming on. And if no one else likes it, at least you scratched the niche for me and I got to learn a bit more about uh, faceless channels, but I, I think it'll be a, a big hit. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on and sharing all your knowledge about growing a faceless YouTube channel. Thanks for having me on.